We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to Babylon Singularity Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Herter. Uh, today we're going to jump into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to break up the chapter at least into two parts, maybe more, depending on how the next episode goes. But I am going to um, break it up into part one, the rebellion, and part two, the man of lawlessness. So if you were hoping I was going to jump right into the man of lawlessness on this episode, I am sorry to disappoint you. You're going to have to wait uh, one more episode. I need to address... uh, I'm I'm trying to cut this podcast down um, a little bit. I, the last one went over an hour. I don't even know how anybody can listen to me for over an hour. So I'm I'm trying to give everybody a break. Uh, I'm trying to cut these things down to 30 minutes, 45 minutes max. I think that's just a, a much more bite-sized um, portion to um, help people, folks, saints to. Consider some of the things I am seeing in the scripture and uh, to encourage them to dig into it for themselves. I am just a dude with a microphone and a Bible, Uh, but I'm a dude that, you know, I'm following Jesus and I'm listening to what he's saying and I am preaching his gospel. And so um, I trust that he's speaking to you and that you're taking his word seriously, and you're doing as the Bereans did, and you're, you're looking into the scripture for yourself to see if these things be so. Just because I'm saying it does not make it true. Um, if I'm not preaching the gospel, if I'm not preaching the Bible, if I'm not preaching the truth, then I need to be corrected just like anyone else. And of course, some of these uh, subject matters are a little bit more controversial than others. Um, I'm spending most of my time and energy uh, on this podcast into digging into what the Bible prophesies about the end of the age, Um, the time when Jesus comes back, appears in the sky with all of his saints and angels and all of the world sees Um, The Bible has a lot to say about that generation, that period of time. And this podcast is devoted to understanding, you know, the times that we're living in, what what we're heading into, um, what God's plan is for saints. Um, I know for a lot of folks, they they may think eschatology is not a big deal. Understanding what Bible prophecy says about the end of the ages and, you know, maybe maybe they just "Ah, leave it for somebody else to figure out. Um, but that is a very non-biblical stance. I just want to say that, um, Jesus was very, um, interested, uh, but in the end times, um, the apostle Paul was very interested in the end times. And so if our Lord and savior and the, uh, apostle who, um, is responsible for a big chunk of the new Testament and teachings and the foundations of the church are, um, speaking about the end times, emphasizing the end times, then we should take that seriously. Now, what you do with that information, that's up, up to you, and that's between you and the Lord. 
But if the Lord is emphasizing it in his word, um, then we ought take it seriously. And that's what I'm trying to do in this podcast. I'm, I'm trying to seek the Lord for what he has revealed about the generation when he will return and make his appearing. That is where our hope is. That is what we are pressing for. Um, and so today I'm going to do a little bit of review of what we did last episode um, as far as getting into First Thessalonians, because First Thessalonians gives such a, a springboard into Second Thessalonians. I think you have to understand there's so many of the same things going on in First Thessalonians that, that uh, uh, affect what's going on in Second Thessalonians, that if you want to understand Second Thessalonians, you got to have a, a pretty good grasp, I think. Um, it certainly helps to have a good grasp of what Paul was teaching in, in First Thessalonians and the context in which he was writing to that young, burgeoning, abounding in love church. Um, and so I'm going to get into this. I'm just going to ask the Lord to bless this, um, this podcast, bless my efforts to, to, to speak to you. Because at the end of the day, it's not about me talking you into aligning with what I'm thinking. It's about pointing you to Jesus Christ that you would know him, that you would seek him. I can't seek him for you. I can't. I, there's nobody who can stand in the gap between you and Jesus. There's one mediator between man and God, and that's Jesus. And so I am here to point you to him, period. Now, part of pointing you to him is pointing you to understand what the Bible says about the end times and 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 um, encouraging you to understand that God has a lot to say about these things so that when these things come to pass, we're not troubled, we're not shaken. In fact, we can abound in love and abound in faith more and more as we see his day approach. And so I'm not out here um, spreading fear. I hope you don't hear fear in my voice. Um, I've got expectation, I've got faith, I've got trust in our Savior to uh, give us the strength that we need to endure now and for all eternity, no matter what goes on, no matter what the days hold and the days ahead, um, we have a mighty Savior who promises He will never leave us, He will never forsake us, and He'll give us strength to endure anything, um, no matter if, if He takes us home today or tomorrow, next week, next five, 50 years, whatever it is, He has promised us the strength to, to persevere and to endure to the end, whenever that end is. Um, and so that's what I'm pointing you to, and that's what I'm going to ask the Lord here to, to reveal by His Spirit through His Word. Lord, we look to you, Jesus. We look to you. You are our great Redeemer, uh, the great Savior, the Son of Man, who reigns exalted at the right hand of the Father. You are preparing your church for your great coming, for your great appearing. You're calling her to you. You're establishing her blameless in righteousness before you, holiness before you. We, God, are just excited and happy and glad and joyful to join with you in your work by your Spirit, to proclaim your word, to see your bride washed in the waters of your word, that we will preach your word, your truth, 
by your spirit, but it is only by your grace. And so we're asking for your guidance, your leadership. We're asking you to open the way to us, bring light and bring understanding, bring wisdom by your spirit. I'm just asking God for everyone who's listening to this podcast, who's hearing my voice now, God, that your spirit would stir in them, that you would give them a passion to know you and and your great love and abound more and more in faith, love, and the good works that you preordained that we would do by your spirit, God, that you would get all the glory, that we would abound in fruit. God, make us abound in all the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, goodness. God, we just ask you, Father, that we would walk in humility, that we would depend fully on you, that we would realize just how much we rely on you every single day. So we look to you, we give you this podcast, we give you our words, we give you our hearts again. We will follow you to the end. We love you, Jesus. Speak to us now through your word. Amen. All right. So last week we got into uh, 1 Thessalonians, um, wanted to address specifically chapter 5. Um, but to understand what, what Paul's, um, Paul's heart here is, you have to understand the context in which 1 Thessalonians was written. And um, Paul is preaching the gospel in the synagogue. Many are getting saved um, there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a great, um, outpouring of the spirit where many, um, are believing and abounding in faith, but there's also the negative side where the, uh, Roman authorities are, um, increasing persecution on Paul, on his preaching so much. So there's so much trouble in the city that they actually ask Paul to leave. So Paul has to leave and he's concerned about the believers there and and Thessalonica that they would endure and that they would continue in the faith, that they would continue in the love and they would continue in the example that Paul gave them. So he's concerned for them. He sends Timothy to them to get a report how they're doing. Timothy comes back to him and says, Paul, they're doing fantastic. They're 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 enduring under uh, increasing persecution. Um, they are abounding in love with each other and faith in Jesus. The Spirit of God's at work. God's doing a mighty work in Thessalonica. So Paul is writes First Thessalonians in a spirit of um, gladness, happiness that he is um, so thankful to God to see them enduring with patience and with love for one another and continuing in the example that he gave them. Now, there's a couple of concerns that Paul has while he's addressing them. He says, you guys are doing fantastic in terms of faith, in terms of uh, love for one another. Um, he, wa- he wants to address a couple of issues, like for whatever reason, they've got some sort of thing with them that they don't want to work. I don't know what it is, but you see it in First Thessalonians, and then you see it again in the second uh, letter to the Thessalonians. There's some, I don't know, idle busybodies that there's like, I, there's, there's some, um, yeah, I, I've heard some people talk about maybe there's a, some sort of uh, Roman patronage where they're, you know, maybe there's, they're just kind of bumming around and just like living off the rich folks in, in Rome. And there's, and that's part of the culture. And Paul's railing against that. Like, Hey, you can't just be idle. You've got to be working. 
you got to be working, you know, with your hands, with your minds, with your bodies. Work. Don't be idle. So that's one of the things. The other things is he's he's cautioning him against is sexual immorality. You cannot be joined to Christ and be participating in sexual immorality. Paul makes that point. Um, a couple of points like that. But then there's a couple of larger issues. Paul, when he's in uh, uh, Thessalonica, um, initially he spends uh, some time teaching the Thessalonians about the return of Jesus. And so this, the teaching of the return of Jesus encourages the Thessalonians to endure under persecution. You see this in the first uh, letter of uh, to the Thessalonians, and you see it in the second letter. Paul's encouraging them, telling, hey, the day is coming when Jesus is going to return, and you are going to be rewarded for your endurance and for your faith. And so Paul continually pointed forward to that day, that these persecutions are you know, in, in the eternal perspective, light and temporary. And the weight of eternal glory is coming. And when it does, you will be rewarded forever. And it will be, all of your enduring under the persecution will be well worth it. And so Paul is constantly assuring them of this. Now, Paul spent some time, we don't know what the initial teachings were exactly, but from from reading 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, you can tell um, that that Paul got much of his teaching from the Olivet Discourse, um, from the teachings of Jesus, when Jesus was on the uh, Mount of Olives with his disciples, telling them about the destruction of the temple and telling them about his appearing in the clouds, which we've spent some time in. Those are two different events separated by thousands of years. One event happened in 70 AD when the wrath of God visited Jerusalem in a once in a history of the world scenario where Titus laid siege, the, the, the Roman general Titus laid siege to Jerusalem and God's wrath, all of the, 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 the innocent blood that was shed from Abel all the way to Zechariah, which is a, a reoccurring theme in the Gospel of Luke, that God's wrath would, would be visited upon Jerusalem for the rejection of the prophets and for finally the final nail in the coffin was the rejection and crucifixion of the Son of God. That God says, I will pour out my wrath on this generation in a way unlike I have ever done ever before or will do ever again. So the what happened in Jerusalem for the rejection of the prophets, for the crucifixion of the Son of God, will never be replicated. It will never be exceeded. If you're wondering what happened in those days, I, I encourage you to, to read through the 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 histories of Josephus when he wrote about the the Jewish wars, he explains in some detail of what was going, what was happening in that city during that siege. Jesus warned multiple times about when you see Jerusalem being laid siege to, get out of Judea, get out of town, because God's wrath is going to be poured out in a way that, that unlike any time in history. 
So Jesus t- foretells the, the siege and fall of Jerusalem. He foretells the destruction of the temple. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem laid siege to get out of Judea. In the other Gospels, in, in, in uh, Mark and in Matthew, Jesus says, when you will see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, get out of Judea. Now, we know Jesus was describing the same event in both Luke and in Mark and in Matthew. So Luke describes it as the siege of Jerusalem. Matthew and Mark uh, use the word, when you see the abomination that makes desolate, get out of Jerusalem, because the temple would be made desolate and destroyed. Who made the temple desolate? Who set it up? Who destroyed it? Yeah, sure, the Romans were in there. Yeah, sure, they had their pagan signs that were strewn all throughout the temple while it was going down. Sure, Titus was in there. Who knows exactly what was going on inside the Holy of Holies? And I'm pretty sure the Romans didn't care at that point. Um, So you just don't know what actually went down inside of the temple while it's being raised to the ground. But I'm guessing all sorts of wickedness. Um, happening. Who was the one who brought that to pass? Well, it was the same one who instituted the temple to begin with. The one who started the temple ended the temple. It ended in AD 70. It has not come back since. To this day, there's a, if you look on the Temple Mount, there is an Islamic shrine there, the, 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 the Dome of the Rock. I'm no expert in uh, Islamic religion. I'm no expert in, in Middle East politics or uh, the, the conflict there. So I'll, I'll go ahead and point to somebody else who's an expert to that. Go ahead and just follow whatever they're saying about all that. But I can tell you that the Dome of the Rock, an Islamic shrine, sits on that spot today. And I can also tell you that written around that is is basically blasphemies. So the point is the temple is gone. The temple of Jerusalem is was vacated. 8070 vacated. To this day, there is it's it's still an abomination that sits there. So that the temple has not been reinstituted. A lot of folks, I don't want to get into exactly this right now because I think I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but a lot of folks say, hey, that temple's going to be rebuilt. All this stuff is going to happen. That maybe, in, in, in my opinion, that's possible that maybe it happens. I, I, don't, I don't think it's a make or break deal one way or the other. I'll just say it that way. It could happen. I don't see in any scenario that the Jewish people rebuilding the temple then somehow makes it holy, right? Like to me, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit later. I'm, 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 I'm probably digressing a little bit, but my point is this, the abomination of desolation has occurred. It occurred in AD 70. It occurred at the moment when the Romans destroyed the temple, the, the, the temple mount was vacated. It's been a desolation ever since. More than likely, it's never going to be rebuilt. That, that particular um, temple scenario is not going to reoccur. We're not going to see that. 
it's not going to come. So, the, so that, that, that begs a few questions like, well, what's Paul talking about in Second Thessalonians chapter 2? I'm going to get to that, and I'll go ahead and I'll put that forward into the next episode. This episode is going to be devoted to the rebellion, so I'll get to that in a moment. Um, my point is Paul is drawing heavily from Jesus's teachings from the Mount of Olives. So when in uh, chapter five, Paul's talking about um, the, the day of the Lord coming like a thief in the night, that the day of the Lord is going to come as, a, as labor pains coming on a woman, um, that those are, those are metaphors that Jesus himself used when he was describing um, his return. And so Paul spent, spent time with the Thessalonians teaching um, what Jesus was teaching his disciples uh, on, the, on the Mount of Olives regarding his return. So Paul writes 1 Thessalonians. He, he gives them, a, he, you know, so, so here's the scenario. He's preaching in, in Thessalonica. Um, many are getting saved Many of the Roman authorities are getting angry, furious, want him out. The believers in Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonica drive, ask him to leave. He leaves. He's concerned about the uh, Thessalonians there. He sends Timothy back, gets a report, and then he writes this letter and says, Oh, man, you guys are abounding in faith. Um, now, be careful. I want you to make sure you understand a couple of things. Number one, when Jesus returns, I want you to understand in, in verse uh, chapter four that uh, the, the, dead, the dead will meet Jesus first, and then those who are alive will, will follow them. That was, that was his first point. And then secondly, he wanted the Thessalonians to understand that there's a time and a season. There's a season that uh, precedes the return of Jesus. And that season is marked by a, an unsuspecting world that will be seized upon by labor pains. So the labor pains are like this, this on-ramp, this runway that leads up to the return of Jesus. The, the return of Jesus doesn't just, Jesus doesn't like, it's not like uh, Paul wants them to understand, and he's going to reiterate this again in Second in Thessalonians. He wants them to understand that the, when Jesus appears in the sky, it's not going to be like, oh yeah, we were just, you know, going to lunch that day, and uh, and yeah, it was, we were, we were uh, you know, just, you know, doing our normal thing, and then boom, Jesus showed up in the clouds, and, and all of his angels, and everybody's like, wow, that was amazing. Paul's like, no, it doesn't, it's not happening like that. There is a period of time, there are a number of prophecies that will occur before Jesus appears in the clouds. And Paul wants them to understand that. He wants to understand like, look, the, the world is going to be going along like normal. And then suddenly labor pains, like labor pains that come on a, a woman who's going to have a, have a baby is going to seize upon an unsuspecting world. And, and, and they're going to, they're going to the, the world, the fallen world is going to so misunderstand this period of time that they're actually going to think this is the, the, the time of greatest peace and security the world's ever known. So they're going to come up to this, this period of time that the Bible says is like labor pains, this period of time that's going to seize upon an unsuspecting world like a thief, like a thief that just you, you're sleeping and then boom, you get hit by a thief 
or you're just you're a pregnant woman and you're sitting around working in your garden, all of a sudden you're seized by labor pains. Everything was one way at one moment, the next moment everything shifts because you have been seized upon unsuspectingly. And the world is going to so miss it that they're going to think that this is the greatest moment of peace and security and that this is going to, to that they're on the, the precipice, on the threshold of an era of peace and security. Paul says they don't understand that sudden destruction will come upon them. They're going to completely miss the point. Paul says, but we're not of the darkness. We're not sleeping. We're not drunk like they are. We're awake. We're sober. We're, we, the church, is listening to Jesus and is listening to his word. And so, we, that we will not be overtaken the way they are being overtaken. So, Paul writes this first uh, letter to the Thessalonians, hoping to clear some things up for them. <laughs> and apparently, like, I don't know if he, like, made it better or worse, because it seems like he got, he sends the first letter, like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and straighten these guys out on, on, these, on these couple of issues. And then he follows up with 2 Thessalonians. It's like, it's almost like they took whatever he wrote them, got it completely wrong, and he's got he's got to come back again and go, no, I, this is you guys completely missed what I was saying. You need to understand some things. So Paul is spending a, a spending time and energy and effort to make sure that the Thessalonians understand what the Bible teaches about the end of the age. It's serious to Paul. It's serious to Paul. So it needs to be serious to us. We need to understand what Paul's saying because a lot of the stuff that Paul was saying actually didn't have anything to, like the, the, the Thessalonians who were with Paul, who received the first letter, who received the second letter, didn't actually experience any of the things that Paul was talking about, even though in their context, there, there, was, there were um, lower levels of these same realities. They had wicked emperors there. They had Caligula. They had Nero. They, they had these wicked emperors who thought they were gods, and they would come in, and, and Caligula wanted to... He wanted to set up a statue, I think, of himself or whatever, or be worshipped as God in the temple. He was assassinated before he was able to do that. But Paul was aware that this, this was stirring, that this was cooking in the emperor's minds, that these demons were, were inspiring these guys to do these crazy things. He understood that. And he was well aware of the, the ancient enemies of, of Israel, the guys like Nebuchadnezzar and Antiochus Epiphanes. He understood that there was guys in history who would come along and go like, you know what? I woke up this morning and decided I'm God, so I'm going to go ahead and force everyone to worship me. And if you don't like it, I'm going to chuck you into a furnace. Um, Paul is well aware of this, this narrative and this reality, and he's experiencing it in real time. In fact, he would die in the persecution of, of Emperor Nero, who, you know, wasn't able to, you know, get worshipped in the temple, but was probably about the, almost as close uh, as a, as a uh, type of Antichrist as they come. So th these are realities that are being played out, but there is a final f fulfillment 
at the end of the age when Jesus returns and actually consumes the man of lawlessness with his breath. It's like Jesus is saying, okay, this is the guy. Here he is. I've been telling you about him for a long time. And there's only one guy who's going to kill this guy, and I'm going to do it myself personally. Um, and 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 the Thessalonians never saw that. I mean, they maybe they're they're seeing him now while they're in the, the witnessing things from heaven. You know, I don't know. But during the time when Paul's writing historically in the first century, they never saw the man of sin. They never saw the rebellion that Paul was talking about in in in, in Second Thessalonians chapter two. He was telling them about things that wouldn't happen for thousands of years. And that's what makes it so startling and amazing that we're living now in the period of time that Paul is describing. And so that's what I want to get into. Um, so we're going to uh, kind of transition, migrate into 2 Thessalonians now. And I'm not going to get too deep into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 this episode I'm going to I'm going to save most of it for the next episode when we really get into the nuts and bolts of the man of sin and what Paul understood what Paul was preaching and teaching to the Thessalonians um, so yeah so we kind of covered 1 Thessalonians now we're going to dig into 2 Thessalonians he he writes again and to the Thessalonians now the second letter he starts out and he is reassuring them again, like, hey, this persecution that you guys are facing, it's not going away. In fact, it's increasing. The The initial persecutions didn't cool down. They intensified. And the Thessalonians were bearing up, enduring by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God. You know, guys are getting, getting killed. People are losing their jobs. People are losing everything for Jesus. And, and Paul, his comfort to them, you know, you can kind of see, um, you know, well, first of all, he's, he's, he's boasting about them in verse, verse four, chapter one, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in all the afflictions that you are enduring. So Paul recognizes the Thessalonians and says, hey guys, you guys are enduring. I'm boasting about you. I'm using you guys as an example of how the other churches should bear up under persecution. So you guys are doing it. You're doing it. You're doing it. Um, and then verse, verse five gives Paul's comfort to them, which is pretty intense when you really consider it. He says, verse five, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Since, verse 6, indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on all those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So Paul is going, you guys are bearing up under this persecution. It has intensified. You are abounding in love and in faith. And by the way, the ones who are afflicting you, unless they repent, which of course we pray that they all would repent, they would all come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But if they do not, if they continue in these persecutions, God will visit wrath upon them. He considers it just to afflict those who are afflicting you. 
And so Paul was giving them a sense of a greater perspective of like, hey, these guys who are persecuting us and afflicting us, God will answer. And he's going to answer in a big way. And the biggest way he's going to answer is when Jesus himself appears in the clouds with his angels and destroys his enemies with fire. Um, so for that's 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 the first uh, chapter in 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 Second uh, Thessalonians, the second letter to the Thessalonians. So now Paul circles the wagons on his teachings about eschatology or the end times. Eschatology just means the study of Bible prophecy in regards to the end times. It's a very specific uh, study, and uh, Paul addresses it again and again, and here he's addressing it in, this, in the second uh, chapter of 2 Thessalonians. Paul wants the Thessalonians to understand a couple of things here. So this, this, we'll just go ahead and read it, and then we'll get into it. So verse 1, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and stop there before I get too deep into this chapter. So Paul alludes back to when he was with the Thessalonians originally. And was like, hey guys, I want you to hearken back and remember what I was teaching you when I was with you. Do you remember what I was teaching you? I was teaching you about a couple things. Jesus is coming back and you need to understand that Jesus is coming back. But you also need to understand the events and the scenarios that surround his return. It's very important. Paul was, Paul was um, building the faith of the Thessalonians. He was building on the bedrock of Jesus Christ, on him crucifying. But he was supplementing their faith with understanding what the Bible says about the end times because it's critically important to understand the what we're going to uh, endure, what we're what what God's plan is, how He's going to put this thing together, so that when these things come to pass, we're not filled with confusion and fear, because that is what the devil wants the church to do—to panic in fear. But if our hearts and our minds our faith is grounded and anchored in the word of God, we're not going to shake. We're not going to be moved. We're going to abound in faith and love more and more. And we're, God's going to give us the strength to endure anything and to stand before him. That is the plain teaching of scripture. That's the plain teaching of Jesus. That's the plain teaching of Paul. Now you can go ahead and 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 spin off into into whatever direction you want to spin off to. That's between you and the Lord. 
Um, but I am going to point you to what the Bible says, and I'm going to I'm going to continually hold your feet to what this word says, because I believe if we just declare His word by His Spirit, He's going to do the work that we could never do. I I'm not interested in trying to persuade you or convince you. I am interested in declaring the word of God as plainly and clearly as I see it myself so that you can come to terms with what it says for yourself. Read it. Look at it. Ask God to reveal it to you. Don't take any person's word for it, including myself. I'll say, first of all, myself. But don't just because some dude said something somewhere, even if he's a brother, even if he's a great brother, even if he's an awesome brother, even if he's read lots of books and he's super smart, you have to read the word and get it from the Lord. So I'm just encouraging you to, again, weigh these scriptures for yourself. So Paul addressing again the Thessalonians. Apparently, they were getting worked up about, they thought that they missed the coming of Jesus. So, so in first Thessalonians, Paul says, Hey guys, the coming of Jesus, the, the, the times and the seasons, uh, regarding that, uh, the, the appearing of Jesus is going to be like, a like labor pains coming on a woman. It's going to be like a, a thief in the night. That's going to seize upon an unsuspecting world, but you're not that you're not unsuspecting. You're not blind. You're not drunk. You're going to see it coming. You're going to understand it. You're going to stand firm in the power of God, right? Well, the Thessalonians go, all right, that's awesome. Thanks, Paul. And so I don't know the the I don't know how this scenario works out, but they 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 get in there and they're like, okay, it's gonna be like a thief in the night. I think we I think we might have missed it. I think it happened and we didn't know it happened. And now, uh, so then you've got apparently some people in the church that are going like, yep. Sorry, guys. Uh, show's over. We missed the whole thing, and uh, not sure what we're looking forward to now. But uh, um, happened, like Paul said, it was a thief in the night thing, and um, and uh, sorry, you can all go home now. There's nothing to see here. You know, I, I don't know exactly what the teaching was, but I know Paul did not like either the teaching or the effect of the teaching. So Paul is addressing this teaching that was happening inside the Thessalonian church that the the day of the Lord had already happened. They're like, okay, guys, Paul said it was like a thief in the night. We missed it. Nobody really saw it. It happened and um, it's over. We're done. Go ahead and whatever you were doing before, just go ahead and do it before. Paul's like, no, 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 no. Um, I don't care if you think you got a letter from us. I don't care if you got a letter from Santa Claus. I don't care if you got a letter from Donald Trump. You <laughs> need to understand this, that the day of the Lord, his appearing, there's, there's events that surround it that you have to understand are going to come to pass as part of this larger scenario, if you just think like, oh yeah, uh, it was a secret thing that happened and Jesus warned this, warned about this in the, in the Olivet Discourse that like Jesus said very specifically 
If anyone tells you my coming is a secret that happened in somebody's basement or happened in the woods somewhere and everybody missed it, don't believe it. Don't believe it. It's not a secret. It's not a hidden thing. Now, again, go ahead and and think whatever you want to think and do whatever you want to do, but please grapple with what Jesus is saying to you. Please grapple with what Paul is telling you. I don't care what I'm telling you. You grapple with what they're telling you. And and I'm just going to encourage you and I'm going to point you to the word of God again. Grapple with it for yourself. And don't, yeah, do whatever you want, but I just, Lord, I just ask you, whoever is just maybe wrestling with these realities and these ideas from your word, God, that you would minister your truth. God, that we would have no pleasure in unrighteousness or unpleasure, or that we would not pleasure in anything but just the truth, God. We're just asking for a full measure of your truth, and we will hold to your truth whatever it says. Whatever it says, and I'm just asking you for grace in the hearers right now, God, because you are the great shepherd. You love your people, and you are uh, bringing them into greater measures of your truth, and 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 who you are, and your plan for them, God. You're not you're not angry. You're not you're not mad. You're, you love them. You're the great shepherd. And so, Lord, I'm just I'm just again just asking you by your Spirit, minister to your saints minister to your, your, your church and prepare your bride, God, for your coming. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like rail against uh, the pre-tribulation rapture because I don't think it's going to do any good to rail against anybody. Um, and I'm, my heart isn't to, to rail, but my heart is that you, that your heart and your mind would align with the word of God. Um, and I'm like, again, again, I'm not, I'm not interested in winning you into my way of thinking or, or whatever I may think I have got figured out for myself. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in you drawing closer to Jesus and walking in the fullness of his truth. And so hopefully you can hear my, my heart here. And I, I realize hey, this is a one way conversation. I, I realize, Hey, you, you, you know, Hey, you know, pre-trib, Rapture folks probably would want to push back on, on this or that or, or whatever, and, and, and I appreciate that. I've, uh, you know, um, this obviously the podcast isn't the place to have a big dialogue about pre-trib versus post-trib or, or any of those conversations. I'm, I'm really just focusing, I'm trying to anyway, without getting sidetracked too often, so bear with me, forgive me. Obviously, I'm passionate about what the Word of God says, and I'm not, you know, I'm not... Feel like I'm not pushing for one angle, angle or the other. I'm just declaring the word of God. So, um, so for whatever it's worth, you know, hopefully you can forgive me for maybe the I don't know edginess in which I uh, say some of these things, um, and that you again, and, and I'm just trusting the Lord that you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna sort these things out for yourself. Um, so anyway, so first, so Second Thessalonians. So he he wants to address the Thessalonians misconception about the coming of Jesus. They, some of them had thought like, Oh man, we missed the boat. It's over. Now what are we going to do? And there was some confusion there and they didn't. um, So Paul wanted to address that confusion. And he's, he's basically saying, look, I don't care who's telling you don't believe it because the, the concerning the appearing 
of Jesus and are gathering together to him, he says that day will not come until two things happen. And I'm going to get into part one today. I'm going to leave to part two for next episode. As you can see, I'm already getting pretty deep into this podcast here and, and trying to push both of those ideas into one um, episode. It's just, it's just too much. So I'm going to save it for next episode. So part one today is the rebellion. Paul says two things are going to happen, need to happen before Jesus appears, before our gathering together with him. Paul says... The first thing is the rebellion, or the other word for rebellion is apostasy. And the other phrase for that is the falling away. So Paul says there's going to be a rebellion slash apostasy slash falling away, an event that will precede the return of Jesus. So Paul says that's number one. And then he says number two, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. So next episode, we're going to get into the man of lawlessness. This episode, we're going to get into the rebellion. Of course, they're dynamically connected, and it's difficult to actually kind of peel them apart. I'm really just peeling them apart for the sake of time, that this podcast doesn't go two hours this time, because um, there's so much to say about the, the man of lawlessness and how it relates to the final rebellion, because... He is the corporate head of the final rebellion. He is the one who's inspiring the final rebellion. He's the one who's leading humanity away from their creator, fallen humanity, pointing fallen humanity away from the creator into the hands of the devil, Satan, the dragon. Um, very clear from Revelation 13. We're not going to get into that today, but very clear that the role of the false prophet, the Antichrist, is to point humanity away from the Creator to the dragon slash beast. That is the role of the man of sin. So we'll save that for next week. So hope our next episode. Hopefully, it's next week. Um, so look forward to that in the next episode. But for now, we're going to tackle what is the rebellion that Paul has in mind here. Paul says, "Jesus, our, we will not. Jesus will not appear, and we will not be gathered to him un, unless the rebellion happens first. So uh, today, we just want to want to want to dig into the rebellion, the apostasy." Because this teaching actually uh, arises out of the Olivet Discourse as well. So you can see Paul is steeped into the, into the teachings of Jesus as in regards to the end times. So for us to get a, an idea of what's going on in Paul's head, we need to start with the teachings of Jesus because that is what he was teaching the Thessalonians um, Paul had some other things to add to the larger prophetic uh, the uh, uh, understanding of the the end times. Um, last week we talked about the the declaration of the people saying peace and security, um, which seems to be an added element that is difficult to find at least that phrase anywhere else in the Bible. A lot of people blame it on Roman imperial slogans. I think it goes beyond that. Um, it, it, that may have played into what was happening in Paul's mind, but 
the fact that it's scripture, that it's the word of God, that means people are going to be saying peace and security right before the labor pains um, seize upon the world. Um, so that that's actually a tip off before before the tip off, um, which is incredible that Paul would add that level of uh, uh, prophetic information to the to the scenario. So now we're not just looking for the labor pains that will uh, arise in the end times. We're actually looking for a period of time right before the labor pains that people will be saying that we're entering into a time of, of peace and security. That is a huge signpost for the end. I know a lot of people have been saying, ah, peace and security for a lot of times in different contexts and different ways, but this is going to be a global reality where the world is convinced that they're entering into a period of time of unprecedented peace and security. So when we see the world declaring that unilaterally, we're going to know, all right, buckle up. We're about to see uh, (laughs) destruction and uh, labor pains at a whole new level. Because here, here's here's the thing: when people start saying they're going to really believe it, so whatever for whatever reason they're saying peace and security, they're gonna they're gonna be believing that this is going to be the answer we've been looking for. Now, in my mind, I immediately begin to think of what would it look like if humanity develops a super intelligent artificial intelligence? What does it look like if we're able to continue to escalate the and accelerate into human-level intelligence and far beyond human-level intelligence? And we're, we're able to create a god-like AI. What would that scenario look like? And what would people be saying? Like, let's just say, not, it's not, you're not hearing about it now, but I think you're going to start hearing about it more and more and more and more until everyone's talking about it. And the scientists and the leaders and the most influ- influential people on earth are saying like, oh, Wow. We now have the ability to create a godlike AI that knows everything about everything. And if we just place our future into the hands of this AI and let this AI govern humanity's future, it's going to make better decisions about everything than humans ever will. So all we have to do is get humans to align with this AI and you know, you, you actually kind of hear things like that from, from guys like Elon Musk who say like, oh, you know what? He, all, he said kind of startlingly enough, he said all input, all human input is error. He sees human input, human thinking as error. That means he thinks a super intelligent AI would be the right decision maker. And if you could just find a way to, you know, say drill a hole in everyone's skull, put a device into their brain so that their brain can align with AI, problem solved. So 
when I hear Paul talking about there's going to be a period of time where globally people will look into the future and say, ah, we finally solved all of our problems. We're going to enter into a new era of peace and security. I'm thinking that's AI. That's artificial intelligence. When all these, you know, futurists and technologists and technocrats look into the future and say, if we would just align with artificial intelligence, all of our problems would be solved. So I'm looking for the day when we begin to approach that threshold of creating a super intelligent AI and go, what are people saying about it? Are they saying this is going to be lead to unprecedented peace with an AI guarding our peace and security and AI policing us, deciding what our laws are. Um, It sounds incredible right now. It sounds unthinkable right now, but give it a few more years and come talk to me. Come talk to me in 2025. Come talk to me in 2030. There's a lot of stuff that are, you know, could happen in five, 10 years that can change the conversation very quickly. And I'm, I'm trying to get that conversation going now. I want to have this conversation now so that when it happens, the church is prepared. We're leaning on Jesus, relying fully on him. He's pouring out his spirit and we're standing for him rather than being confused and fearful and panicked. That's my intent. That's what I'm trying to do here. And I'm, 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 I'm reaching out to anyone else out there who's like, okay, we need to start having this conversation. We need to start talking about it. I'm not saying that I'm right or wrong or anybody's right or wrong. I'm just saying we need to begin to talk about it. And this is my attempt to go like, hey, the Bible's told us about this. We need to take it seriously and we need to align with what the Lord is telling us. So go ahead and open up to, let's just go ahead and open up to Luke 21, where we'll get into uh, the foundations of Paul's teaching. Um, we could do this in, 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 um, in Matthew 24, or we could do this in Mark 13. I'm just going to go ahead and just jump into Luke 21. He, Luke's gospel seems to be the most orderly account, seems to be the one that spends the most time trying to... Um, give a semblance of an order. So that's, I just, I'm going to default to Luke um, on some of these issues, because if there is some discrepancies, Luke's account might be a bit potentially more orderly, not necessarily so, but potentially so. At least that's what his intent was. And that's what he writes in his first, first chapters. Like, Hey, I'm writing this to give an orderly account. So Luke 21, Jesus tells us about the time when, Verse 12, uh, before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how you will answer, for I will give you an answer. I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand. You will be delivered up even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends. Some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will 
gain your lives. So Paul, uh, so Luke talks about that in verse uh, chapter twenty-one, starting verse twelve, and then we see um, in let me just just address it real quick in Matthew twenty-four, verse. Uh, sorry, so verse eight. All these things are the beginning of birth pangs. So 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 Jesus is saying, hey, here's the birth pangs. One of the things about the birth pangs is verse nine. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You will be hated by all name, all nations for my name's sake. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So Jesus makes a very strong point to say, the labor pains that are coming, the same labor pains that Paul is teaching about, part of those labor t- pains is an apostasy, a falling away from the faith. A period of time when all nations will despise Christians. Paul is telling the Thessalonians the, the same thing that Jesus was telling his disciples uh, on the Mount of Olives. Jesus is t- telling his disciples, and, um, you'll hear wars, or rumors of wars. He says, don't worry, the end's not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. He says, and, then, and these are the beginning of the labor pains. So the, the beginning of the labor pains are marked by war. So war and, and disease and earthquakes will mark the labor pains. But the other thing that will mark the labor pains is a final persecution, a final falling away when all nations will despise the name of Jesus that they will put Christians to death. I mean, that is the plain teaching of Scripture. Paul is teaching the Thessalonians this reality when he says Jesus will not appear and we will not be gathered to him until or unless the rebellion or the apostasy happens first. So when we're looking for the return of Jesus, Paul is saying it's not going to happen until we see this falling away that Jesus was teaching his disciples about on the, on the Mount of Olives. What does that follow? What does that following, falling away mean? What is that apostasy? What is this rebellion that we're talking about? If I was to sum it up, I'm going to say it is the final Psalm 2 um, crescendo of fallen world aligned with the kingdom of darkness. What we need to understand about the day of the Lord, the time and the season, the, the, the labor pains that will seize upon this unsuspecting world is that the advent of the dragon in the form of the beast is coming. The devil is coming to earth. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds nuts, 
That is the plain teaching of the Bible. A lot of people believe that the Antichrist is going to be this devil. But that is short-sighted and actually um, unbiblical. I don't know how else to say it. The reality is the man of sin, which we'll get into next episode, aligns like a demonic trinity with the devil. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of fallen men align in the quest to dethrone God. The lawless one, the man of lawlessness, points fallen humanity away from their creator and betrays them into the hands of the dragon or Satan. This is the reality of the demonic trinity. The Antichrist is not a demonized man. Daniel 11, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 36, makes it very clear. The king or the Antichrist does whatever he wants. Now, you can't say that about a demonized man. You couldn't, you couldn't say about the demoniac from Gadara that he did whatever he wanted. He didn't do what he wanted. I mean, it's like, uh, let's see, I don't know, chew on some chains, uh, roll around in the dirt naked, uh, howl and moan and, and be completely miserable. Um, I don't think he wanted any of that. Why was the demoniac of Gadara doing all that stuff? Was it because it was his idea? No, it was not his idea. It was not what he wanted to do. It was because the legion of demons that were inside of him told him what to do. They're going to like, yeah, you know what? We want to roll around in the dirt for the next six hours. Sorry, dude, you don't get a vote. Okay? So demonic people don't get to do what they want to do. The man of lawlessness, the man of sin, is a man completely free of God, is a man completely free of the devil, and he chooses with his own free will to align himself with the devil. And the devil says, I can use that. In fact, let's partner up. You take your gang of fallen humanity, and I'll take my gang of fallen demons, and we'll create a entire creation to, uh, well, not create, sorry, we will deceive, uh, we will deceive them all into believing that they can dethrone God with us. Because let's face it, that's what Satan's about, right? That's what he wants to do. He wants to take God's place on the throne so that he can sit on the throne and he can be God. Problem with Satan is he's a terrible God. He's a horrible God. He enslaves, kills, and destroys. That's what he does. But that doesn't mean he's not going to deceive people into making him their God. The Antichrist will join him, become one with him in a demonic trinity. I know we're getting, we're, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just trying to give you, maybe just give you a little bit of a foreshadowing of what's coming up on the next episode. The man of sin is not demonized. No, he's the most incredible fallen human of all time. The most brilliant, most successful, the richest, the most impressive, the most winsome. He's the most amazing fallen human. Everybody loves him. Everybody's going to love him. 
And he's not going to be like Count Dracula. You know, he's not going to be like Anton LaVey where he's like some sick Satanist like Marilyn Manson. That's not what the man of lawlessness is. He's going to be the quote-unquote best of fallen humanity. And that's what's going to make him so attractive. Because all of the fallen humans are like, that's what I want. I want that success. I want that mentality. I want, I want to join him in saving humanity. Because the man of lawlessness is going to have a vision for humanity. And he's going to present himself as a savior of humanity. So that when people look at him go like, oh, wow, he's so wealthy. He's so rich. He's so winsome. And he has this amazing vision to save humanity. I want to join him. And the man of lawlessness is just going to go, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and uh, betray you and anyone who's following me right into the hands of the devil. Because we're on this quest together to dethrone God and be done with him and his people and his word forever. That is the rebellion in a nutshell. So how does that rebellion play out in real time? That rebellion plays out in real time by a fallen world falling in love with the Antichrist. The, the, the fallen world falling in love with the dragon, with, the, with Satan. Joining in this quest to dethrone God. And how do they dethrone God? Well... To dethrone God, you're going to have to expel God from his creation. You're going to have to expel his people. You're going to have to expel his word. And what Jesus describes when many will fall away, that is happening in the context of this apostasy, this final rebellion that both Paul and Jesus talk about in regards to Bible prophecies and the return of Jesus. So we need to come to terms with, hey, that's, those, are the, those are the waters that we're heading into. I'm not saying it's happening next year or next five years or next 10 years or 20 years. I don't, I don't know when it's happening, but we need to come to terms with what Paul said would happen before we would be gathered together to Jesus. And he said two things are going to happen. He said, one, the rebellion, and second, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. Of course, those two things are intertwined. We need to understand those, those things are intertwined. And we can see the beginnings of this movement already. I believe we can see it already. When a guy like Elon Musk comes along, very wealthy, very winsome, dude's funny, dude's making really cool cars and rocket ships. What's his vision for humanity? We need to really come to terms like, I, I get it, like cool cars. Man, I like cool cars like anybody else. Rocket ships, who doesn't like Star Wars and Star Trek? I love that stuff. I mean, that's awesome, man. The guy's doing incredible stuff. It's absolutely amazing. He's, he's doing whatever he wants. And it's all working out. Fantastic for him. Glad for him. But we need to understand, like, what is his vision? Oh, he wants to save humanity. Oh, wow. So he's, he's going to be humanity's savior. Oh, and how is he going to do that? Oh, we're going to live, we're gonna live on, on Mars and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and be subjugated to uh, super intelligent AI. That's where you lose me. That's where I got to go. Mm. Now... That does not, I can't find that one anywhere in the Bible. In fact, well, it's, sorry, I actually can find it in the Bible. 
It's in Revelation chapter 13, where there's a guy who comes along and marks everyone. And without that mark, it's impossible to buy or sell. So I look at Elon Musk, I look at Neuralink, I look at digital currencies that would potentially be tied to Neuralink, potentially be tied to Starlink and internet connectivity, and go, hmm, this does, maybe this is in the Bible. Maybe this is in the Bible. And that's the conversation I'm getting started right now. And that's just, I think that's the conversation we need to start having as a church and going like, okay, if we've been told about this, the Lord's got a plan. We can watch it come to pass. It's going to be amazing. God's got an answer for it. He's going to establish us in his word. So, boy, I just, just, I kind of just kind of leave it off here to go like, what is the rebellion? Well, the rebellion is fallen humanity joining with the demonic realm in the quest to dethrone God, to expel God's people and expel his word from creation. Now, the the irony is that the creation is wants to vomit all of this wickedness out. Like the earth itself is wanting to retch and and you know puke out all of the wickedness and sin. So even while the devil and the and fallen humanity are are on this quest to to dethrone God and expel his people and expel his word, the 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 earth itself, creation ex, ex, itself will be expelling wickedness because creation doesn't want all this wickedness. Creation itself, you know, is going to rebel against the rebels and, you know, basically be destroying a between uh, just fits of, of, of earthquakes and, and diseases and, and just wild animal attacks, all sorts of crazy stuff. The creation itself is actually going to be fighting against these rebels who are fighting against God. And God will have his way and Jesus will appear and he will mete out vengeance. He will destroy the lawless one with the breath of his mouth and destroy all those who disobey the gospel of our God. And so Paul gives the Thessalonians that encouragement. We have that encouragement, but we are need to take the Lord and his word seriously. And that's what, that's what I'm here to do. So I'm, I can just kind of end, end the podcast with just addressing briefly the rebellion. And then next episode, we're going to get into the man of lawlessness himself. And there's a lot to be said in the rest of this chapter. So stay tuned for that. Look forward to that. Be blessed, seek the Lord and be watching be praying and be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Hope uh, hope this was a blessing to you. Hope you uh, t- tune in uh, to the next episode. All right, next time. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, babylonsingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.